Hello? Are we on the air? Welcome to the Beyond the Mind podcast, where we ask not what's in your head, but what your head is in. Prepare to be inspired. Inspired to change your environment, change your mindset, and ultimately change your life. Willpower doesn't work, people. If you truly want to move away from stress and anxiety, you have to start with your environment. With your environment. So let's go. Let's apply some positive change into your world. Happiness is loading. Is loading. Welcome to the Beyond the Mind podcast. Hello podcast world, I am your host Ian Highfield and I am back, I am back after quite a lengthy delay, I took a little break from podcasting uh, because I was really being aggressive with trying to get my new book published uh, and I was successful. So creating positive change, the book on personal and corporate mindset is now out there and now I'm ready to rock and roll again. Uh, with podcasts that can educate you, inspire you, and help you to practically apply changes into your environment so you can be a better version of yourself. And what better way uh, to mark the return uh, of the Beyond the Mind podcast than with someone who has coached PGA Tour golfers, European Tour golfers, professional athletes in many other sports uh, and also does some corporate consulting uh, and uh, this this gentleman when I first started my career 11 12 years ago uh, he was another person that I kind of stalked <laughs> so I did that with with Dan Abrams uh, we've had him on the podcast uh, and I also did this with Dr. Carl Morris so without any further ado Let's check out the conversation I had with Carl uh, a couple of days ago and during this podcast we're going to discuss elite level golf and elite level human performance and then we're going to discuss what the recreational athlete and recreational golfer could learn from this and apply into their game to help them perform at a higher level. We'll also briefly touch upon some of Carl's corporate work uh, and how high performing performing executives uh, do tend to show a lot of the same traits uh, as elite level athletes. So I hope you enjoy this awesome podcast uh, with the Mind Factors very own Carl Morris. Carl, how are you? I'm very good, Ian. Very good. Uh, Nice to be with you tonight. Yeah, well, I I really appreciate you coming on. I I, uh... Off air, we were we were chatting a little bit, and I I said you were one of three people that I stalked when I was launching my career. So uh, to have you on the podcast, it's a uh, you know it's a, it's a big thing for me. I'm appreciative of all you've done uh, in your career uh, to pave the way for for people like myself. Um, so obviously, I know a ton about you, um, but for our listeners, can you just go over a little bit about your background, uh, what it is that you do, and then. We'll see where this podcast takes us from there. Yeah, no, very, very kind of you to say that, Ian. Um, yeah, I mean, going, going way back, I mean, probably like many people listening or many of our contemporaries, I wanted to, I wanted to play at, at the highest level, and uh, a kind of uh, pattern emerged where I was. Uh, I think I won half a dozen major 
major championships but every one of them was on a driving range or a practice ground <laughs> practice ground so it was the it was the classic thing that in in those days in the early days I was I was told that what I needed to do was build a golf swing that would stand up under pressure I thought wow what a great idea I'll go I'll go and do that and a kind of journey started where I worked with coaches in the in in the UK and the US and sort of went all over the place and and the pattern with looking back in was so predictable that I would go and I'd get some information from a from a very sort of well-known esteemed coach get very excited about the information bring the information back grind away hitting loads of balls on the range and eventually start hitting it quite well but then unfortunately uh, nothing happened when I, when I got into the only place that really mattered, which was the golf course. There was no transferability from the information that I'd got. And I suppose that was the catalyst, really. I started to, uh, to, to, to go more into coaching. And probably the biggest influence for me was a guy called, you'll heard of, Mike Hebron, who was, um, I, I, he'd written a book called Golf Mind, Golf Body, Golf Swing, which everybody should have a look at if you're interested in, in coaching in any way. And he was very kind to me because I rang him up and I asked him about my own game. And he said, come over. Um, I don't think he realised I was in Manchester, England, rather than Manchester <laughs> in, the, in the States. I spent a great few days with Mike uh, at, at uh, Smithtown Landing on Long Island. But it was, it was the conversations that we had and the conversations that, um, that you know, he, he sort of got me curious because he, he changed direction a lot with his coach. And he was very much a, a golf machine guy. Um, but then started to look at more about how people learn and how can we transfer things onto the golf course. So I came away from that and I, you know, I, I became ever more curious. I, I looked at a lot of, um, it's, it's kind of academic psychology. I'm not, I'm not an academic as such. I didn't, I didn't do, go down the university route. It was more at the cold face, really. I'd looked at the inner game. I went and spent time with Fred Shoemaker in California and I suppose in the end just came up with a whole bunch of different influences that, that culminated in, in, in working on the performance side. And, and I got lucky with a couple of players in the early days who seemed to respond pretty well. And, you know, 20 odd years later, we're still, I'm, I'm, I'm still searching for some, some of the answers, but it's been a, been a, been a great journey in the meantime. So let, let me, I'm going to, you're being very humble there. Let's talk about getting lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know, I think your definition of getting lucky with a couple of players and my definition of getting lucky are a bit disconnected. So um, <laughs> let, let's hear about that. Cause you know, again, before we, we came on air, um, I've, I've, I've had players, tour players win at like, you know, second stage of Q school and make the cut on the last day to keep their card. So mm. I've had some of those juices flowing. I've, I've watched one of my players go, pretty deep in a tournament to climb the leaderboard and win life-changing money. Mm. But I've never had a watch the player come down the 18th and win a major. Yeah. Um, so I, I would love to know uh, what that's like. Cause we often talk about this, right. From a player's standpoint and they're in the zone or, and, and, and mm. they're flowing. What about yourself? How, how does that feel? So, you, you know, you, you said I've got lucky with a couple of players. Go into the, I obviously know who they are in the competitions. Go into the details of the, the bigger wins, but then tell us what was that like from a, from a coach's perspective and, and a personal perspective when you've been on such a journey with these guys? Yeah, it's a great question, that Ian, and uh, probably not thought about it enough myself, really, because, you know, I think you have to adapt over the years to it. If, if I look at the early days, 
I may I maybe got too emotionally attached to to, to players in, in the wrong in the wrong way, think thinking I was maybe more important than than, than I actually was. But it, it really started um, with a, with a, a player in the in the local area to me uh, in the northwest of England, a chap called Philip Archer, who um, who was was really successful in the kind of north region pro am circuit and like that, but really struggled to put four rounds together. And uh, he, he came to me and it was kind of at the point where he, I think he was pretty close to packing in, uh, cl close to desperation. And um, we started to talk about a few things. We did a few sessions. And, and anyway, cut that, cut that longish story short. Phil went and uh, went to the European Tour that year and Euro European Tour School and shot, shot 27 under par and got his tour card. And then kind of as a result of that, um, I, I came across, or I conversations with chubby chandler you know the 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 manager who had a whole host of great players in his in his stable and he'd heard about a couple of players that i'd worked with and a serendipitous event happened where he we, we'd i'd been to his office and uh, and he said uh, he said what are you all about and I, I talked about some of the ideas that i had and he said yeah he said i'll maybe maybe let you let you have a go with one of the younger players he said, i'll get back to you in in, in the way only chubby can uh, I mean, we've become great friends over the years, but he said, and I, and I, and I left the office thinking, oh, I'll never hear from him. And um, it was literally the next day. And I can remember where I was. I was actually in, 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 in a cafe in Lytham, in St. Anne's in Lytham in, in the Northwest of England. And the phone rang and it was Chubby Chandler. And he said, uh, right. He said, you've got one go at this. He said, the big fella's coming over tomorrow. You've got an hour with him. The big fella being Darren Clark. Uh, <laughs> awesome. And That's I'm so just, awesome, man. And I'm just thinking, oh, God, talk about where do I where do I start with this? And I can rem I remember, see, I, I got I'm 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 incredibly early me. I'm 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 sort of um, pathologically early for anything I do. I'm never I'm never late, you know, for anything really, unless there's something strange. I mean, I must I must have been an hour and a half before me before the time I was supposed <laughs> to meet meet up with Darren. And I'm sat in a car park in a pub not far from the offices there, thinking, what am I going to say? And I look at it now, and that 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 first meeting with uh, with with Darren Clark. Again, I'm going to use the word lucky, but I think it was lucky in a sense because I was I was overawed really. And what I ended up doing, which I now think is such an important role, if you are working with players in the performance area, is I spent most of the time listening. I really didn't say an awful lot. And Darren had just played in the U.S. Open, and he should have. He should. It was the it was the Open that Jim Furyk won, I think, and he, he'd had a pretty good chance to win. And he kind of just unburdened everything on me, and you know this had happened and that had happened, and he was struggling with his putting. And as I said, I didn't I didn't say too much, and made a couple of suggestions at the end, and then um, left it and again, thinking, well, not not much is going to happen from that. And Chubby rang me. He said, "Yeah, he said, uh, he said uh, the big fella likes a few of the things that he said. I want you to do a bit more work with him." And anyway, that, that sort of the relationship that, that you know has gone on best part. I mean, I spoke to Darren not long ago, and um, you know we've worked on and off for, for probably twenty odd years now, best best part of twenty years. But but after that, we 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 spent some time after that first meeting, and I rem I can, again I can vividly remember it. We're at. Um, at, at his at his golf club down in the in in the south of England, um, but very private place, uh, and we were on the putting green. And I remember we, we talked about something. And Darren had got very much down the down the technical route, and he was struggling with all of that. Um, and I said to him, I said at one point, I said, um, 
I said, do you, do, you, do, you kind of, do you kind of see the line going into the hole? And he said, yeah. He said, when I'm putting, putting my best. And, and I said, okay. I said, well, if that line had a colour, what would it be? And he looked at me as though it was the stupidest thing anybody had ever ever asked him. And, and, and he, he thought for a moment, he said, yeah, red, I guess. And, and, and then we, we spent another 10 minutes getting a bit weird and wacky with this red line. And we, 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 it became the red line became liquid mercury pouring into the hole at a certain angle and then flowing into the hole. And, you know, again, I kind of know now years later, what was I doing? I was kind of activating the right side of his brain and getting, getting much more creative. Uh, and he went, he went from there. And I knew, we'd, I knew we'd hit on something because he just reacted so well and the putt started going in. And he played in the US PGA and then uh, I think he missed the cut in that, but said he putted well. And then the week after he played in one of the, one of it, one of the WGC events at Akron. And he actually, he actually won that and he holed everything in the, in the last couple of rounds. He held off Tiger Woods when he was absolutely at his best. Uh, and I've still got the, I've still got the, the text that he sent when he, when he won and he said, uh, red line made the difference. Wow. And, uh, and, and as a, and as a result of as a result of that, I mean, every now and again when we when we meet up again and 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 I'll 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 speak to him and he's usually the putting that's that's um, that's struggling, and uh, he's struggling with and he, he'll often say to me, "Don't mention that effing red line," because <laughs> 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 uh, he knows he gets away from stuff like that and he gets a bit a bit too technical. But that that was the first experience. I remember sitting, I can, again, I can see myself now. I, I, think, I think I spent the back nine on Sunday as he had a chance to win this WGC event. And I think I spent, I spent probably six out of the nine holes watching it from behind the settee rather than in front of it because it, <laughs> it, was just, it was just torture. Um, and, and that, you know, in like what you, what you asked me, that was, that was the first experience of feeling a bit powerless, really, uh, in, in a kind of good way when you've got a player you've worked with and they've a chance of winning a tournament. And, and, and over the years, I've become super disciplined, Ian, now. I mean, you know, you can fall into the trap of checking leaderboards on the European Tour or PGA Tour every two minutes if you're not careful. And, and I'm, I'm pretty good now. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, set, I'll set time when I am going to have a look at it. And it's usually sort of after nine holes and then 18 holes. Um, you know, one of the players I worked with this year, Laurie Cantor, had a chance to win the DP at the weekend there. And that was, that was I hadn't watched much of it, but I watched the, I watched the back nine of that. And that was... Uh, that was that. Re that reminded me again of, the, of those early days. So um, I've probably rambled on a bit too much there in answer that question. But that uh, no, no, that's that great. It, it reminds me of a funny story actually. So um, I think it was Stuart Morgan. I was talking yeah. about a, a player after I worked with who was on the the European tour. I think it was after about seven holes on the Saturday, and he was doing well. And I was texting Stu back and forward, and he said, "Hey." you got to calm down on the uh, pre-tournament ejaculation. <laughs> he says, it's not over yet. And I was, yeah. ever, ever since Stuart said that to me, I've been like, right, I've, I've almost met it as emotionless as I, as I possibly yeah. can. So what, what's it like? Just, just go into a little more detail. What you, you build, when you do what, what you do, it's, you can build these deep relationships with players. They can, they can really open up. Mm. You become someone that, that they can confide in, uh, like almost like a different element with, within their team. And, and a lot of golfers are, it's a team sport these days. There's the stats guys, the fitness guys, it, it, it's, it's really grown. So when you've got this kind of deep, 
deep, meaningful relationship and you're, you're watching a player compete for, say, the Claret Jog or in the Ryder Cup, like, h- how does that make you feel? Like, w- what's running through your mind? Is it, is it just you're focused on their results and their performance because you're their coach? Or do you ever take a step back and think, wow, this is awesome? How, how well have like I done and how well has my career evolved? Yeah, I think, I think I've, I definitely fell into that trap in the early days, Ian. Um, you know, as, as I alluded to, I think you can get a bit carried away and, and pump yourself up a bit too much. And now, now I'm, I'm pretty clear on it in, in the sense that, you know, if, if a player does really well, don't I, I need to make sure I check myself and don't get don't get too far above myself because no matter how well a player's done, I've not hit a single shot, I've not hit a single putt, you know, I've I've not dealt with that situation. It's it's they who've done that. But by the same definition, I'm also pretty good at the other end as well. Because that can be quite hard. You know, you work with a player and you try and help them out and it, it doesn't work out for whatever reason and you, you know you don't you don't maybe gel in the right way and the performance isn't doesn't improve that much and you, you can take that too much to heart as well so I'm pretty good at remaining quite neutral that you know if, if somebody wins a tournament or somebody does really well that's definitely not all down to me but by the same measure if somebody doesn't play that well it's also not all down to me so mm. I, I, tr- I try and make it very much a you know, a, a collaboration. And I, and I think, you know, one of, one of the roles that we, we probably do fill in this area is just, is just having the ability to be a neutral sounding board because, you know, you know people in these high-pressured situations in elite sport, yeah, they can, have, they can have people around them. But sometimes I think if they're with them all the time, it's, you know, it becomes a little bit too close to the action at times. But I think, you know, if you if you do work on the performance side, if you can sit with them and just literally be neutral about it and get them to verbalize, I think that's one of the key elements of it is because they know they know the answers. You know, they've played the great golf in the past. They've just got in their own way somehow. But I think if you can get them to verbalize what's actually going on, the number of times I've sat down with a player. And as I said with Darren earlier on, I've, I've not said an awful lot. I've just prompted them to actually uncover what, what they are doing to get in their own way. And you can see it, you know, you can see it in their own eyes. They, they light up and you think, yeah, you know, something's happened there as a result of you know, perhaps good questions, but the ability to just let them reflect a little bit better on what, what's actually going on. You know, one of the questions that I don't think is asked enough in golf because usually the question is, tell me what you're doing wrong when, when, when mm. somebody goes for a golf lesson. But I think the most important question is, tell me what you do when you play well. Because, you know, somebody said to me years ago that success leaves a trail behind, but we don't look for it. You know, when we play well, it's kind of, oh, great, you know, it all, all fell into place. And, but we don't, get, we don't get forensic about when we've played well. And yeah, playing bad and mistakes have a role to play. But, you know, there's, there's ingredients for everybody to really tune into of what they as an individual. And that's the key for me, Ian, is, is for, for I'm very much now uh, of the opinion that, that, that this game is about uncovering uh, what, what you need to do as an individual to make you take, to make, to get the best out of your play. So it's about, not about finding the way, it's about uncovering your way to do it. Yeah, I, I love that, that you, you've talked about highlighting the positives. I was with... Um... I was at the Ledbetter Golf Academy. I I do some consulting there with their junior academy. Um, And one of the coaches there, Zach Parker, phenomenal coach, unbelievable guy. One one of the best humans you can meet. And Mm. I just happened to go into the 
the bay that lead normally teaches out of. It's got all the technology and all the equipment and they're doing the, the floor pressures. They're doing the, the pressure trace. They're doing the track man numbers. They're, they're going through the whole shebang and they're, they're putting this kid on video and uh, Zach puts the, the video up. And the first thing he does is he talks about everything that the student does well in their swing. Mm. Mm. And I kind of took a step back and I'm like, that doesn't happen very often. No. You know, so obviously that's something that you, you've put into your craft. So you're, you're a great listener. You're trying to help these players recall what they're good at, what their strengths are. What, what else do you do with these guys that are, and girls that are super high performance? Like what, what other hats do you wear as well as a, a good listener, as well as uh, someone who's going to help them reinforce their positives? What, what else is your role? And I guess what, what's your ultimate end goal with them? Where do you want to, to get them? Yeah, I think, I think for me, the, the word that I use over and over again, Ian, is, is attention. Uh, and, and I talk to the players about becoming what I call an attention detective in the sense that the more I look at this, that, you know, the, the mental game, if you like, can be immensely complicated uh, and you can go down all sorts of rabbit holes or you can keep it, as I do, pretty simple and, and focus on the word attention. And I say to players, well, when you play your best golf or when you play your worst golf, when you're enjoying something or you're hating it, it is all, it really comes down to what you are putting your attention on. And I'll show them a simple model and say, well, if you think of the word attention, you've, it can be in one or two places relative to your sport. You can have, either have your attention on something that's useful to you or useless. Mm. And, 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 and again, I don't think in coaching, there's enough time spent on really trying to find out what that person, what that unique individual where their attention needs to be to release their capabilities. Now, yeah, we, you know, we now know the science that, you know, a lot of, a lot of the sort of motor learning research will, will, will suggest that if you're going to play your best golf, it would be more of an external focus of attention, be that on the golf club or the effects of the golf club, the ball flight, things like that. But I, I, I've sort of always been wary of absolutism. That, you know, when somebody says it's, it's, it's all about external focus, yeah, that's definitely very, very useful for a lot of players. But I know some great players who, who've won tournaments with an internal focus, with a body focus. So I, I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, I, I, I straddle both worlds, really. But my, I feel my job is to, for me to get curious about what their attention needs to be on, but for them to become even more curious. So it's less about all, all, the, all the what in the golf swing in terms of positions and things like that and more about the how of attention and how you how you can dramatically drive better performance when you understand about the location of your attention and and, and what that can what that can do to free up the motion in your body because one one of my one of my sort of guiding principles you know looking at again at the motor motor learning stuff is you know back from Nikolai Bernstein in the early in the early sort of 1900s that the idea that human beings will organize efficient movement around a clear intention. And I, and I don't think I can overstate that for all you, you know, all the people who listen <laughs> yeah. to you. So, that's just such an, you know, write that down that human beings will organize efficient movement around a clear intention. Now, then, then that opens up Pandora's box about, well, if we, can, if we can get a clear intention and the intention can be, can match up to where this person is, then some, some absolute magic can happen. 
And, and again, that's why I think, you know, being perhaps a bit more focused on, on, what, on what shots a player is hitting as opposed to just being obsessed with swing positions and swing theory. I'm not anti-swing. I'm not saying swings can't be adapted and can't be developed. But when you asked about the end goal, my end goal really is to help people play better shots. Because as far as I'm aware, at the end of a golf tournament, the ask you how many shots you've taken. <laughs> I don't think I don't think the ask you how many swings you've made. <laughs> agree, agree. So, yeah, I, I I think I caught a clip of McElroy recently talking about when he's a bit more external, when he's seeing mm. the shot, his mm. swing mechanics react, and I think. That's what some people miss. They, they, they believe to master their swing or perfect their swing, they've got to focus on their swing. Yeah. But the mind moves the body, the body moves the club, the club moves the ball. So what Rory's saying is if he puts his mind out there and he sees his flight tracer or shot shape, his mechanics actually react differently yeah. because of that visualization. And I guess that goes all the way back to the story that you said about... Um, Darren Clark at the at the start with his with his putting, his technique would have improved or would have been different in reaction to that to that picture now with that with that red line. I mean, I'll, get, I'll just just jump in on another story and while while we're talking about this, I mean, another player that I've worked with for again best part of twenty years, Graham McDowell. Um, you know, you know, two years ago. We don't, we don't see as much of each other now as we used to do in years gone by. He was actually here at my house a few weeks ago and he was over playing in uh, in, in Scotland and, and, we, and we got together and uh, spent a couple of hours here. But, you know, at one time I would I would go regularly to Port Rush and spend the day with him. We had some brilliant days over there, um, at, at, you know, just about the ultimate, or one of the ultimate golfing locations. But the story I'm going to get to uh, is that a couple of years ago he was struggling again with his with his putting, uh, and he was he was running out of he was running out of time on the PGA Tour. I think he was on a medical exemption. He, he'd struggled for a while, and um, we, we, he got in touch and we started chatting away. And he, and, he, and he said, "I'm really struggling with my putting." And I said, "Well, what's going on?" He said, "Well, he said, you know, I've, I've done some work on my stroke, but I said, he said, I think I'm taking that too much into into tournaments." And uh, and I said, I said, just remind me, Graham. You know, when you when you hold that putt uh, to win the Ryder Cup, and when you when you know when you closed out the U.S. Open at Pebble Beach, what 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 was what what were you doing with your putting? And he smiled at me. He said, Yeah. He said, I know where you're going to go. He said, You're going to talk about the breathing, aren't you? And I said, Well, I don't know. I said, What did you do at your best? He said, Yeah. He said, He said, I always always had a trigger that as as I'd gone through my routine and my process. Just before I stepped in the, into the into the port, I released the breath, and we'd worked on this for years because it was a kind of trigger that, you know, release the breath, and it's it's a kind of signal that to your system that you've you've done everything you can, you've inputted the information into the computer. Now it's time to just react and and let go. And uh, he, he he went. We, he said, yeah. He said, let's let's get back to a bit of that. And he went away, and he was playing in the Dominican Republic in the uh, Corrales Punta Cana, and. Um, he, he messaged me after the first couple of rounds. He said, he seems to be coming off the putter a little bit better. And then on the Saturday, 
uh, he went out and he had he had 20 putts on this on the Saturday <laughs> afternoon, which is never a bad idea in a PGA Tour <laughs> event to have 20 putts. He actually had he actually had 15 consecutive single putts. Wow. Maybe well, maybe it'll be one of the best putting rounds that's ever ever occurred on the on the PGA Tour. Did, did they have strokes tra- gained then? I bet they didn't, did they? Yeah, it's only a couple of years ago. This. Oh, is it? I wonder yeah, what his strokes gained was. I bet it would have been. I, 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 it must have been off the charts. And he only, he only he only didn't make sixteen on the trot, and we laugh about it because Kenny's caddy said to him as he was walking on the onto the sixteenth green, he said, "Graham, do you realise you've had fifteen single pots here?" <laughs> <laughs> and he left the one on sixteen dead dead in the hole. So he's had 20, 20 pots uh, without without a chip in. But you know, did he? Did he? Did he hold those hold all those puts? I mean, he went on and won the tournament. But did he did he hold all those puts just because he was focusing on on his breathing? No, the breathing was a way of putting his attention in a useful place that released everything that was that was already there, and it had not gone anywhere. He was just blocking it, you know. And 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 these are the these are the sort of I think the intriguing areas that that players can look at, and sometimes the simplest of things. Can 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 release the performance. Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, you've you've cited Phil Archer, who I, I know of. I, I worked mm-hmm. with uh, Mark Pearson. So Mark yes, Pearson, Mark was, was his coach. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Mark was amazing to me at the start of my career, and he sent yeah. uh, professional players players my way. So there's a link there between us being in the same t- team as uh, Mr. Pearson. Um, but you talked about um, Phil Archer. Darren Clark and Graham McDowell. <laughs> so there's three super high achieving players. Now, for people listening, Phil will be, Phil will, Phil will be very pleased to be to in be that play- company <laughs> if he listens to this podcast. <laughs> for 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 people listening, um, just because those three guys are the are the one percent of the one percent and have, have played at the the elite level, um. And I believe Phil led the U.S. Open, right, at one point, or was in the right up there. Um, you've got. I, I've seen a picture one, of his name on the on the leaderboard at the U.S. Open, anyway. So I, I mean, he's played at the highest, highest level. Yeah. He did um, definitely get into the U.S. Open one year. I'm yeah. not sure about him leading, but okay. yeah, he certainly played in it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so all of these guys have, have played at the, the highest level. Um, this isn't just exclusive to them. You know, if you're the majority of people that listen to this podcast will be club golfers or, um, you know, recreational tennis players, uh, recreational. So there's a couple of Premier League soccer players that listen to this podcast and a couple of really, really good golfers. So that's about four people that are elite. (laughs) The rest (laughs) are I don't want them to think that, well, it's okay for them because they've got good golf swings. That's that's not what we're we're getting at here. So, I would love Carl for you to, you know, slightly change gear. Um, I yeah. could listen to the stories about those guys all day long. But how do the, the 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 average club golfer? You know, I know you do clinics. I know you've got the mind factor. People um, talk about your your stuff all the time. You've written some great content. How can someone like my dad, who's playing off fifteen handicap, etc., how can they apply this into their medal rounds or their mission to get their handicap down or win the winter league yeah what one of the things that you could that anybody can do in is is actually look at what i call the fundamental question with golf and to me the fundamental question is does does the swing create the shot 
or does the shot create the swing? Now, we, we could debate it a lot, and, and there's valid arguments on both sides, but I actually, I actually think, to me, you, you, you open up a real different world when you start to think, as we've alluded to with Rory, that, that, that I believe that the shot creates the swing because unless you unless you have an intention to play a shot, that doesn't you, you can't then create the movement. Obviously, the movement for a fade is going to be different than the movement for a draw. But the point for everybody listening is if you if you stop asking the question, what's wrong with my swing? Because that question, by 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 definition, if you ask the question, "What's wrong with my swing?" you can you can be be led into purgatory of you know a period of time lasting anything from six months to to forty years. Because the answer to that question, "What's wrong with my swing?" will always be influenced by somebody's opinion of how it looks. Now, to to me, that's a dangerous route to go. But if you ask the question, "What's wrong with my shots?" Now then, now we're on a, on a different different platform and a different footing because if you get really clear, okay, what's wrong with my shots? Is there too much shape one way, too high, too low, contact, things like that? You can really drill down. And that's when I think it becomes a wonderful collaboration with a coach where you can actually really start to work on improving people's shots. And, and you know, yeah, understand what concept you need to have to produce certain ball flights and things like that. But when you start to look much more at the shots rather than the swing, I, I, I think you can just make so much progress. And, and even simple things like, um, you know, the vast majority of people listening to this, if, if you did nothing else in the next six months, but improved the location of your strike, you would become a much better golfer. If you could find a way of hitting the middle of the golf club more regularly as a focus of attention, you'd be surprised at what it'll do for the length of your drives. You'll be surprised at how many fairways you'll hit. You'd be surprised at how many greens that you'll hit. But most golfers spend all of the time having their attention almost everywhere other than the most important thing, which is the club face. And, and you know, again, I'm sure you've done this with your, your players and your students. You know, when you get a player to, to spray the face and, and really start to see how erratic they are with the ball strike or where does it come out of the club face regularly and then get them building some skills around more centred strikes. You know, one, one, of the, one of the principles I have that you can, you know, everybody listening can have some fun with this. I call it trapping the feeling, whereby the idea that instead of trying to get it right, so imagine if you set up with the ball in the middle of the club, make five swings and see if you can start with the ball in the middle of the club, but deliberately hit it off the toe. Do that five times and then do it deliberately hit it off the heel. Shank it if you like. Now, if you can deliberately hit it off the toe and deliberately hit it off the heel, your brain can organize around that. It can trap the feeling. So instead of standing there trying to make perfect swings, give yourself permission to go either side of correct, and you'd be amazed at what you can do and how much more you'll find the middle of the club by, by, by that exploration. Because humans, I don't think, humans don't learn movement by getting it right. They actually learn movement by being either side of right and then finding the middle ground. You think about how a baby learns to walk. You know, they go from crawling, they get up off the, and they, they get onto two feet, they fall to the left, fall to the right, fall to the left, fall to the right. And eventually the brain organizes around the middle ground and center ground and traps the feeling. Love that. Yeah, that's a, I, I love that. Uh, practice drill so for people listening when you go to the range um uh, 
move a little bit away from those mechanics and, and that drill trapping the feeling is going to help you find the center of the club face. Now, if they practice it on the range, Carl, and they say it's a Wednesday night and then the medals on Thursday, yeah. they get on that first tee. How do they create that attentional focus? And I know that's a, a massively generic question, but I'll, t- I'll tell you one, Ian, that, that sends shivers down my spine. Um, we did this a couple of years ago. I was I was lucky to get asked to go over to to China to to certify a lot of Chinese coaches, manufacturer certification, and they still ring me up. Or they, they don't ring me up. They 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 they, they message me on uh, on WeChat that they have in China, <laughs> and they still talk about the dots. And we we're, we're, we're at one of the one of the sessions. And you can imagine, you know, my my, my Mandarin isn't brilliant, so, so there was a little <laughs> little bit of an issue with, you know, we, we had a translator there, but it was kind of like, you know, not, it wasn't simultaneous translation. And we're talking about juniors, we're talking about centered strike, and I just can't, this just thing just popped into my head, and I said, well, why don't we why don't we aim at joining the dots? So literally, what I did, I just had a felt tip pen, and I drew, I drew a big red dot on the on the golf ball, and then a big red dot in the middle of the club face, and I said, right, mm. get get the kids to just stand there and what they've got to do is join the dots and it's unbelievable i'm sure you've done something similar it's unbelievable when you give kids that 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 concept dot on the ball dot on the club make a swing and see if you can join the dots and these just balls are just flying down these bullets are flying down down the range there and you know the point coming back to what you said is that playing golf on a saturday you could have your attention on the club face, on the center of the club face. Imagine that you've got a big red, a big red dot in the middle of the club face. And obviously the ball, you know, in tournament play is not going to have a dot on it. But just imagine that you you can pay attention to where the dot is through the spe- through space as you swing the club and see if you can join the dots. You know, big influence on me, Fred Shoemaker has always said the fundamental difference between good players and not so good players is a, is an awareness of where the club head and the club face is during 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 the golf swing as you swing the club through space. And, and concepts like join the dots are just a fun way of engaging the creative part of the brain. And it's amazing then how mechanics improve as a result of what seems stupidly simple concepts. I love it. Yeah. I, the, the first real way you talk about hitting it out of the heel and the toe and the center, I've, I've done that one a lot and I, I've, I've made it a game with points, but I've actually not, I can't think I've done the second one where I've put a red dot on the face and I, I've not done that. So give it a um, go. I'll give it a go in. Honestly. I'm definitely yeah, going to, I'm going to do it. I, I I'm going to film I it. I won't, I won't charge you for any of this. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll always, I'll always credit the people that I, I wouldn't like to say steal drills off that I, that I borrow drills off and then maybe continually borrow them. So I, I'm going to, what you can do just, just, and I get a bit carried away with joining the dots, but what you can do when you get people to be aware of the dot, in the middle of the club face, and especially with more established players, you can really play around with the dot then in terms of working on path and face, swing direction, all of those things. Yeah. Because if they if they have an awareness of where that dot is, and it seems to be something about the, having colours and the dot on the face and things like that that allow them to then influence what the what the what the golf club is doing, which clearly is the only thing that the that the golf ball cares about. And I just think, you know, we. We've we've almost become deadened to 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 the golf club over the years. We've spent so much time looking at body movements, and I know they're part of the puzzle. But you know, can you imagine? 
I mean, I'm a big cricket fan, and I was, I, you know, I was brought up in the days of um, Test cricket, Jeff Boycott, and all these guys. I'm a bit of a traditionalist, and I kind of recoil a little bit watching T20 and things like that. But part of me is absolutely amazed when I see some of the shots that these cricketers play now, and I, I can't believe for one minute that when they're trying to get the, the ball over the over the you know the wicketkeeper's head and playing reverse sweeps and things like this. I can't imagine that their attention is anywhere other than the bat. They will yeah. be so tuned into that bat. And if I do this with the bat, it'll do that with the ball. I mean, for your American listeners, they probably think, what the hell's cricket all about? But it's, 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 you know, we can just refer them base- to baseball. They can baseball, just, exactly. it's, it's five day baseball. <laughs> it's five- it's five-day baseball, and you might not have a result at the end of yeah, it. Yeah, you might. Really, oh my god, that, that, everyone's just switched that, that, off. They can't. That really, that. that really freaks American minds out. But yeah, you know, your you, you, you batting cricket is vertical as opposed to more horizontal in baseball. You know, a, a great tennis player, you know, Federer and Nadal or Andy Murray or any of these guys. I, I would imagine. I, I mean, I don't know, but I would imagine they just have an acute sense of what that that racket face is doing. And yet in, in golf, as I say, because we've been so obsessed with, you know, hips and shoulders and legs and all the rest of it, that we've become a little bit immune, uh, anaesthetized almost to, to what the club face is doing. So, so yeah, you know, play around with join the dots. You can have so much, uh, so much fun with that. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think it, golf went down that route? If, and if you read a book, the sports gene, have you, have you read that book? Yes, I have. Yeah. That, that, basically backs up everything that, that you're saying with the, the chunking and the automation processes mm-hmm. in, in the brain. Mm-hmm. So why do you think that cricketers and baseballers and other sports developed the ability to chunk and automate? And why do you think golfers develop the desire for mechanical perfection and, and repetition? Mm-hmm. Why, how do you think that that emerged? Um, it's a great question and I've not got a definitive answer. And I think, you know, video came along in the sort of, what would it be? The mid eighties, something like that. And video was supposed to be the answer to everybody's problems. Wasn't it though? You could finally see your golf swing and, you know, this idea that people would look at the golf swing and, Oh God, I didn't know I swung it like that. And, but the difference between seeing your swing and then creating, creating effective motion, I think is, is, is huge. And I think what video did was it, it created it created a thirst for aesthetic beauty i think in the sense that you know we love to we love to see adam adam scott swing don't we and we yeah you know going back we all drool at mac o'grady's swing and things like that and these swings are visually very very appealing they're very neat and tidy and things like that and you know and, and i think we've we've perhaps over the years been drawn into the aesthetics of it of it of it all you know i've got I've got a great slide I use at one of the se- at the seminars that um, that I that I did well in, in the days when we we used to be able to speak to people in an audience. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it was one, two, three at the U.S. Open a few years ago, and it was Jim Furyk, uh, DJ, and and Shane Lowry. You know, you've got you've got Jim Furyk's golf swing, and then you've got you know DJ bowed left wrist and shut club face and Shane Lowry flying right elbow across the line at the, at the top. And, you know, and, I, and the slide I have is, do, do you want, do you want style or do you want skill? Yeah. You know, because, because these guys, we, we could argue that they don't have the, I'm using quote, I'm putting my fingers up in there using quotes. They don't have good looking golf swings, but my goodness, these people have incredible skill. Yeah. You know, the chap, a good friend of mine, Kendall McWade, he, he said that, in his opinion, maybe one of the greatest examples of coaching 
in the past 25, 30 years has been Jim Furyk's father. You know, Jim Furyk's father is a golf professional. And what a strength of character that, you know, your son has a, has a you know, unique individual way of swinging the golf club. But he, he had the strength to sort of maybe not try and change too much because he realised that Jim didn't, didn't, have, didn't have the greatest style in, in, if, if we compare it to, to um, you know, Adam Scott, but he had immense skill. Yeah, and Jim, Jim. Jim has proven he's had immense, immense skill for, you know, over, over tw- and still, still continues to, to do that. So I think, I think, you know, there there is more of the work that you've done, and hopefully other people. That I think there's more of a movement now towards towards skills rather than rather than just swings. But you know, I, I think it's also intellectually very appealing for a coach to feel as though he's got all the answers. I f- I certainly fell in into that trap there's no question it you know it fe- it feels good it, it massages the ego to feel as though you've got the answers and you know if, if you can use some big words and it sounds complicated even better um but unfortunately <laughs> well that, i think the best thing so far that, that, that from this podcast is every solution that you've given so mm. simple simple mm. solutions to uh to complex problems so you know I think Einstein says anyone can take something simple and make it sound complex, but can you take something complex and, and make it sound simple? And I, I do really believe, you know, the join the dots, the practice strategy that you've given, the visualization with putting, anyone listening can go and can go and apply those. Not anyone listening can go and get the floor pressures of of Bryson and, and mm. Matt Wolf. Um, so these are these are really good roads for for people to go down. Uh, I, I would love to know a little bit more uh, and, I, and I don't want to keep you too long. So that we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up shortly, but I would love to know a little bit more about some of your work outside of, of golf. Um, yeah. I think me and you are very similar. You said about 90%. I'm about similar 90%, but I, I get a little bit of work in, uh, in softball. I've done some in squash. Uh, I do a little bit of consulting in soccer. Um, and I was just making traction in the corporate world before the corporate world closed to outside people. Yeah. So I would love to know what, what you do with the corporate world and may, maybe with, with other sports. Yeah. I think the, the, the good thing is, Ian, it, that, that golf is such a great in to, to other sports and definitely to business, isn't it? Because I think most people who play other sports recognize the inherent challenge of the game. They, they, they recognize the the difficulty in dealing with a lot of setbacks. And, and I think in the business world, it, 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 I, I, I say to people that you could, you could look at, at a single golf shot and I, I'm getting a bit carried away when I say it, and it's, it's, it's a bit grandiose, but I, I, I think you can explain almost the whole universe in one golf shot because people are probably going, oh, is this guy's lost the plot now. But think, <laughs> think, think, think about what a metaphor for life a single golf shot is because, you know, you, you, you're going you're gonna to think about something before you hit the shot. You step into it and you've got to create a movement. And then there's an outcome to that movement that you've got to deal with. Now, how different is that than that's just exactly the same as a big, as a great, as a big business deal, isn't it? Or, or, or a sale that you, you're trying to make. You're going to think about something before the meeting. You're going to think about something during the meeting. And you're going to have to deal with failure if it comes after the meeting. So, you know, the, the way that you, a golfer, can develop better approaches to a single golf shot, that, that, can, that can help them in, in the business. It can help them in, in, in other sports. You know, I've been really lucky, again, using the word lucky again, but it was, it was, it was through, through golf that 
I got, got the chance to to spend time. I would I, I would say this was this was of all the things I've been I've been able to do. This for me was the most memorable that I got a chance to work with uh, Michael Vaughan. Again, I'm mentioning cricket, which is wow, sorry yeah. on, on on the pod. I, I worked with Michael Vaughan, uh, the England captain, during what was known as the greatest Test series of all time. When England yeah. managed to beat Australia after twenty odd years of not 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 getting the Ashes, I remember that, that was only, unbelievable. That was the unbe- video for that was unbelievable. Oh. Flintoff and uh, Peterson and and yeah. just a gr- unbelievable, unbelievable. You know the, the moment when they actually won the final test. I remember exactly where I was in a coffee shop in Manchester and knew that they did actually had actually won it. But the point I'm going to get to is that Vaughan was was just so engaged with, with it because a he's a golfer anyway. But he could see he could see as a batsman how he had to be able to switch his concentration on and switch it off, and you know again dealing with dealing with setbacks. And so golf was just a great metaphor um, for for a lot of the things in, in in cricket or or soccer or rugby or baseball or whatever. Really, I think there's I think there's an immense crossover in terms of in terms of performance. Yeah, just. Like golf is sometimes we're guilty of saying golf is different. And in, in some respects it is because you have time, but realistically the elements of elite performance are the elements of elite performance. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're through all of these guys. Right. I, I think it's amazing when you watch a, a cricketer or a footballer slash soccer player for the American listeners go and play golf. Um, and I know Stuart Morgan's coached a, uh, a couple of um, high-performing Premier League footballers um, and elite-level golfers, and he, he's always talked about their mindset is the same. They go into this with, like, they're going to be the best they can be. They're going mm-hmm. to train. They're, they're going to master it. Is, is that something that you've found? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've worked with a, a few Premiership footballers myself, you know, it seems to be goalkeepers actually that I seem to get because I think the goalkeepers, you know, Tom Heaton being one of them who played played for England a couple of years ago, last year before he got he got injured, he's a Villa goalkeeper now, um, and and Tom Tom's father was the first one who, who who put him in touch with me, and he's a golfer, but but again Tom could see uh, the 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 likeness with golf for him was that you know was a goalkeeper in soccer. Um, you know, you have a lot of lot of time when you're not you're not doing anything. You're a lot of time in between plays. You know, you drop across yeah. and you, you you can spend ten minutes thinking about it if you're not careful. So, you know, it's just the same as as, as golf. And I think, you know, what 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 are you going to be confronted with in any single sport is setbacks. And I think golf, you, you probably get more than most in golf. Or you know, you can guarantee it in every round you're going to get some setbacks. So, the, the ability to deal with those setbacks, the ability to develop acceptance, more, more efficient training, I think is, you know, is such a, a key area for people to look at, you know, you, what, what you produce on the football field, the baseball field, the basketball court, whatever is just the direct result of the way that you train. So if you don't feel that you're developing to your true capabilities, you know, working with somebody like yourself on, on the training elements is just the most valuable thing that you can do because don't ever, don't ever train in the way that everybody else is training, just because that's the way it's always been done. You need to, you might need to, as an individual, do things slightly differently. Understanding about attention, 
but there are a couple of things that you can be doing in your training that can then just the lights go on and away you go and just again simple things that you can do on a daily basis that might just really release your your, your true abilities and and do you see the corporate world as any different when you go in and do these talks no, not not at all you yeah. know i think in the corporate world i think the great beauty of it is i think you know if i went into a business, you know, as I have done, and I, and I, I try and pretend I know that much about the business, about business. I, you know, I'm going to look stupid, and I, I don't <laughs> talk. I, I don't try and talk to you know senior executives who are making multi-million pound decisions. I don't try and talk to them on the level of business because they would see through that straight away. But what what they what they do that their eyes light up when you explain to them about you know, Louis Eustace and using a, using a dot on his glove to trigger concentration to win a major or, you know, Graham McDowell, effective use of breathing to ground himself in the moment to, to, re, to, to again, to get, to get a task done. And, you know, all these things you can, you can sort of like use the, use the example of golf and they kind of join their own dots um, you know, pun, pun intended, I suppose, <laughs> with yeah. that. But, but you know, they, they 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 put their own stamp on it, and I think that's even more powerful. Then, when you, you know, they must get tired of people going into business. I would think and, and saying, "Well, you're doing it wrong. You need to do this, 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 and this." When actually, what they need to do is maybe just have a different way of thinking about it yeah. that has been given has been given to them by sport, and then they put their own personal stamp onto it all. Awesome. So. Carl, that, that, that was amazing. The, the, the quality of your information and the level that you've coached at in your career uh, speaks for itself. I would love people who are going to listen to this podcast to be able to connect with you or, or ask you questions. What's the best way that uh, if someone does want to reach out, how can they go about um, finding you? Yeah, uh, probably the best thing Ian, is just to is just to go to the uh, the, the website the uh, themindfactor.com. Uh, I have a my own podcast which I'm going to get you on as a guest. The uh, the brain booster that uh, runs every week. We've got some some good guests on that. Uh, I'm not I'm not fantastic on uh, social media. I'm a bit of a luddite, unfortunately. I, I have all the channels, but uh, um, it's it's more the like, uh, the, the office manager, otherwise known as the wife, who does all of that <laughs> for me. So, uh, so yeah, if you if you if you if you if you you know want to if, if I can help in any way, just uh, just go on the website and there's a contact uh, contact form there and just just fire some questions over. Perfect, and hopefully, um, if I'm ever allowed back to the to the UK to come and visit my my family and friends, uh, I'll look you up. Hopefully, we can connect. It would be yeah, great to. To maybe do nice. something together, or at least have a have a coffee and and chat further. Yeah, no, we've, uh, I think we're scratching the surface, aren't we? That's for sure. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate your time. Um, have an awesome My day. Pleasure. Thanks for coming on, Carl. Thanks Thank for you. thanks. Bye bye. You've just taken a step forward to making a positive change in your life. That's right. You're one step closer to leaving frustration, stress, and anxiety behind. This was the Beyond the Mind podcast. Let's apply some positive change into your world. Into your world.